and welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, for coming back. First-time listeners, thanks for finding the show. Um, Counterpunch is in the middle of a fun drive, in case you don't know that, and um, we're desperately trying to uh, scrounge, if that's the correct word here, scrounge up as much cash as possible to keep Counterpunch going. I really do think it's an important uh, publication, an important platform that we have to bring critical perspectives from the left on a number of issues going on both in the United States and internationally. I think that, um, you know, I run through this kind of every episode, but I do think it's important that we contribute to maintaining these spaces that we do have on the left in the alternative media to be able to bring this kind of analysis. And the kind of analysis we're going to have today on the show is exactly what I'm talking about. We live in a rapidly shifting political climate, uh, a rapidly uh, devolving political landscape. Fascism is on the march around the world. And this is no longer just hyperbole. This is demonstrable fact. And as that is as that is occurring, we have to redouble our efforts, I think. And part of that means supporting independent journalism, supporting these kinds of platforms. Counterpunch, I think, is really important. It's important to me on a personal level. It's important, I think, to the left, broadly speaking. So if you agree with me, please do go to Counterpunch. Uh, become a uh, donor. You can do that. You know, there's a big banner ad on the, um, you know, talking about the fun drive. You can also just get a subscription to the print magazine. You can buy some of the merchandise, great books, including new book on climate change and its impacts from Counterpunch editors uh, Jeffrey Sinclair and Joshua Frank called The Big Heat. Excellent book. I highly recommend that. And, uh, you know, any of the other stuff on there and becoming a subscriber is also doubly cool. So uh, please do that as we push towards our goal. Um, So with that said, I want to turn to my guest today. I guess you could say this is about as close to a special report or breaking news special report or whatever the hell Fox News calls it, Fox News Alert or whatever, uh, that Counterpunch Radio is ever going to really have considering the nature of podcasting. But we have breaking news, a lot to cover uh, regarding Brazil, what's going on in Brazil right now as that country teeters on the verge of a potential political catastrophe. And there's nobody I know uh, that's more well-equipped to talk about what's going on in Brazil than Mike Fox. Uh, Mike Fox is a, um, well, he's a returning guest to Counterpunch Radio, I guess, first and foremost, but he is a freelance multimedia journalist. His work has appeared in many publications, including some that I'm sure you'll encounter, Truth Out, Real News, and others. Uh, He's also on Twitter at mfox underscore US, and you can go to his website, mfox.us. Mike, welcome back to Counterpunch Punch Radio. Thanks so much for having me, man. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. And um, geez, I guess I wish we were uh, speaking under better circumstances, but they are what they are. So let's talk about what's going on uh, down there in Brazil. That's where you live. That's where you're based. That's where you work. And the country does seem to be teetering on the brink of something. I called it a political catastrophe. Maybe that's hyperbole. Maybe it isn't. Uh, Help us get up to speed on what's happened in Brazil recently and where things stand right now. Well, it's hard to know exactly even where to start. It is, um, it's pretty scary. And, and that's the feeling that a lot of people have. Um, just to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little bit of context here and then, and kind of I'll get into the background, but literally kind of in the same 
rise that we saw after the election of Donald Trump, the rise in hate crimes and the rise of violence uh, and hate speech is what people are witnessing here in Brazil right now. In between the first and the second round, we've had 70 attacks and threats on people around the country, largely by supporters of the far-right candidate Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, and literally just the hours after the first round was over, um, a an extremely important capoeira master in the country, Afro-Brazilian martial art, was killed, stabbed in the back 12 times after a discussion uh, in which he supported the left-wing uh, Workers' Party candidate, Fernando Adagi. And so this is the, the kind of the feeling of fear. And I've been here for a lot of different elections, but this is the most intense uh, and and you, you can kind of feel it across the country. So basically, where, where are things at? What's happening right now? Um, the country is in the middle of... Uh, of, of, of a political election. Uh, we had the first round on October 7th, uh, and the two leading candidates, Fernando Adagi for the, for, for the left-wing Workers' Party, uh, he was the candidate that came to the fore after former President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva was barred from running by the Supreme Electoral Court. If you remember, Lula da Silva was kind of the, the, the savior of Brazil's working class poor for years. He was in power for eight years, lifted millions out of poverty, uh, and he left office in 2010 with an 87% approval rating. Well, just late last year, he was, uh, he was convicted of corruption in, uh, in a case that many say was basically a move to, to block him from returning to power. For most of this year, he was the leading candidate, and it really looked like he was just gonna kind of glide into the presidency. Uh, but like I said, about a month and a half ago, uh, he's been serving time since April, and then about a month and a half ago, the Supreme Electoral Court barred him from being able to run in the elections, and the Workers' Party lifted up his vice presidential candidate, Fernando Adagi. Fernando Adagi is the former mayor of Sao Paulo, uh, he's the former um, education minister under Lula and also Dilma Rousseff, uh, who came to power after Lula. Uh, and so he's been really kind of pushing his campaign about the idea of returning back to what Brazil had, to returning to the Workers' Party policies, to undoing the reforms that were passed under the Temer government. If you remember, Dilma Rousseff was impeached two years ago uh, in, in a move that many call the congressional coup. Her vice president, her, her, uh, her, her vice president came to power, Temer, and he's basically turned the country in about face and he's uh, unleashed a, a, a groundswell of neoliberal reforms, shock doctrine, a 20 year spending freeze, uh, a labor reform. And basically, Adaj has been running on trying to block all of that. On the uh, flip Mike, side, Mike, I'm sorry yeah. to cut in. I just want to give listeners a, a quick cue. If you want to get more detailed background on all of the things that Mike is kind of summarizing here, go back to episode 101. The last time Mike was on the show, we went in depth on Temer, the neoliberal reforms, the connections to Wall Street, a whole bunch of other aspects to this leading up to the conflict with Lula, uh, imprisoning him, etc. So a lot. A lot of that information is covered in episode 101 if you want to go back and listen to that. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Thanks so much, Eric. Um, and the other candidate is a gentleman named Jair Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro is a former military captain under the dictatorship. He's been a congressional representative for roughly the last 30 years. He's from Rio de Janeiro. But for most of that time, he's been on the fringe far right. 
Uh, he's kind of he's been largely ignored and people kind of laughed at him. But in this moment of political turmoil, following the financial crisis, following the massive uh, corruption scandal, the Lava Jato corruption scandal that's happened in the last couple of years, and which in particular the country has really tried to tarnish the image of the PT with, uh, he's come to the fore saying that he wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to do away with corruption in Brazil. He wants to, uh, to fight crime with an iron fist and is willing to arm Brazilians. And his non-PC uh, kind of rhetoric and his sexist, homophobic, and racist rhetoric, for which he's actually been fined, um, is really garnering him support around the country. And this is where we find ourselves at this moment. He barely lost the first, I mean, he, he won the first round, but he almost actually won outright. He almost had 50% in the first round election. Uh, he missed it by a handful of points. And now we're about 10 days out from the second round election between Bolsonaro and Adagi. Bolsonaro is... 18 points up in the latest polls with 59%. Uh, and it's it, he look, he seems like the, the path is fairly clear for him to, to win the elections here within 10 days. Now, it's very, very concerning for so many people in Brazil uh, because of, of what Bolsonaro stands for. And you mentioned the term fascist, and it's not a euphemism. Um, he is someone who has praised the dictatorship. He's praised torture. He said that uh, Pinochet should have killed more people um, during, you know, the, the Augusto Pinochet regime, the dictatorship there in Chile. Um, he said he's going to, he wants to do away with indigenous reserves and that they need to open up the Amazon for development. So this is the, this is what this person represents. He also says he's, he wants to do away with activism in Brazil. That's what he said literally at the very end of the close during his acceptance speech on the, on the night of the first round election. So, of course, women have been up in arms against him. They've created a whole movement, Elino, not him. Um, and, 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 and people around the country are very concerned about what, what a, a potential Jair Bolsonaro president could mean. At the same time, he has garnered major, major support from people around the country that are fed up with the corruption. They're fed up with the crime and they want to see change. And they really don't know where to go. And that's where Jair Bolsonaro comes in the scene. He's a political outsider, very much in the same ilk as Donald Trump. Um, and he's using social media to really bolster his campaign in a massive way. It does seem that the thrust of this is, and not to reduce it too much and oversimplify it, but it's essentially drain the swamp and make Brazil great again. That's right. It's drain the swamp. It's make Brazil great again. In fact, his... The campaign slogan is um, uh, Brazil above Brazilians or Brazil above everything and, and God above everyone. So that's an important kind of hint to also his, his, his evangelicals roots. He's not evangelical, but his latest his, during in, in his last wedding, he was married by one of the most important televangelists in the country, Silas Malafaya, who I interviewed several weeks ago. And so he has very much been catering to the evangelical movement here, which of course is for family values, anti-gay, anti-abortion. And, and they're very afraid about the increasing rights that the Workers' Party has passed down to people kind of, uh, uh, you know, across the country over the last, you know, decade and a half. And that's what you're seeing here at the bottom line. I think this is important to kind of tease out. There's a culture war happening here in the same way a culture war is happening in the U.S. It's a culture war focused around 
feminism. It's a focus around women and women's bodies. It's a culture war around who has the right to be able to decide uh, about you know what happens in our own home. And basically, a, 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 a major percentage of the population and the evangelical movement now is roughly a quarter of of Brazil. Brazil's the largest Catholic country in the world, but the evangelical movement is growing like wildfire. And this movement is is very much, uh, they're very active, very much in support of Bolsonaro, and they're very, very organized around uh, their values. And their values is keeping things the status quo. And that does not mean opening up and increasing the the rights for for LGBT communities and for and for marginalized communities around Brazil. So this is the, the the culture war that's happening and that Bolsonaro is is very much playing into. Now Adagi just recently in, in the first round he was really trying to connect his uh, his candidacy to Lula because Lula was so popular uh, the idea was he could kind of ride in on the coattails of of Lula ride that wave to the presidency. Uh, but became clear in just the days just before the first round that that was not going to fly and that the negative kind of smear campaign, the use of of, of, of mis, uh, disinformation or fake news was very, very strong and continues to be uh, and that he was going to have to tra- change tactic. It's now Haddad himself is trying to really cater to uh, also to religious communities and much more to the center because that's where he's going to get those kind of undecided voters. Well, that makes perfect sense. And I want to return to the the term that you just mentioned, fake news, here in a minute, because it seems that uh, it's playing such a vital role in what's going on in terms of the election and leading up to the second round uh, in particular. And obviously, I think that resonates with people in the United States. And, you know, we've been dealing with the ongoing saga around the 2016 election and whether or not fake news really played a role in that. So I want to explore that in depth. But before we do, I just want to ask, and I mean, I, I guess it's sort of a standard question that I always ask, but tell us about the class, uh, the, the the class breakdown, and in particular, I guess what I'm what I'm really interested in: how is capital responding here? I mean, there was a time when Bolsonaro was seen as you know maybe too risky of a bet for big capital, that maybe he was too much of a fringe uh, element or what have you. But it seems, at least from the outside perspective, that capital is coalescing. Uh, is that correct? And how how does it really break down in terms of support? Absolutely, that's correct. And and I think we've seen that since potentially just before the first round election, um, about a month or a month and a half ago, when it looked like it was going to be uh, Jair Bolsonaro and Fernando Adagi as the two major candidates, um, the Real spiked. Uh, it, it, it dropped to its lowest value um, since its creation. Uh, it was over 4.2 reais to the dollar, which is substantially high. Um, but just over the last two weeks, the markets have really rallied behind Bolsonaro. And part of that is due to the fact that Bolsonaro uh, has been very clear that his right-hand man is Paulo Guedes. Paulo Guedes is a University of Chicago trained um, economist. He was trained at the University of Chicago in the 1970s, so literally uh, at the time of the Chicago Boys, kind of the the base of neoliberalism in the world, uh, and that's what he's been talking about bringing to Brazil privatizations. He wants to pass a tax reform that would just have a basic twenty percent tax on on everyone, so eliminate the, the progressive tax. Uh, and so the the fact that he is kind of Bolsonaro's guy. In fact, in the 
in, in Bolsonaro's speech just following the, the first round elections, he was sitting right to his side, Balogueres was. So mm, Bolsonaro has been very clear that this is his man. Uh, and in fact, when anyone asks Bolsonaro about the economy, he usually just says, well, if you want to know, just talk to Geddes. So that is, um, that's very clear and that's a very important uh, means that Bolsonaro has used in order to get the markets on his side. And so obviously capital has really rallied behind Bolsonaro uh, and is really, you know, turned its back on Adagi, which is interesting. You know, the, the, the Workers' Party governments under Lula and then Dilma Rousseff were actually very, very good for the Brazil's elites and for the 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 markets and and for the and for the Brazilian businesses, very good. Uh, they were able to to move into into new countries and to expand themselves like like never before. Um, but recently, the Workers' Party, going back to this question of really trying to tarnish their image and looking back at this whole question of of fake news. And, and, and pushing this messaging that the Workers' Party is the reason for Brazil's failure in the past five or six years, eliminating, forgetting what happened from, from say, 2002, 2003, up until about 2012, but just looking at kind of the financial crash and the, and the corruption, the, the whole idea has been to, you know, the game has been get the Workers' Party, get Lula, get Adagi. And it's been, and it's been working. And you've seen that in the polls because Adagi's rejection rate uh, as of a couple weeks ago, Bolsonaro's rejection rate was much higher than Haddad's. People were very much against Bolsonaro because of uh, his rhetoric, his very violent rhetoric, his sexism and whatnot. Um, but that's actually dropped recently, and Haddad's rejection has increased, I think. And it's come along together with this whole campaign against himself and against the, against the Workers' Party. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I think the other piece of that is, and maybe this is somewhat troubling, that um, the the prospects of the Workers' Party were very much connected and correlated to the increased value of commodities. And as commodities rose through the early 2000s and into the early part of this decade, so did the fortunes of the Workers' Party. They enjoyed popular support, etc. The economy was humming along just fine. Then as the oil price in particular crashed, and oil being such an important export for Brazil, it seems that the political fortunes too kind of went down the tubes along with it. And now we have Bolsonaro emerging, a real fascist movement taking hold. And wouldn't you know it, the price of oil has doubled in the last 18 months. And so the worry is that Bolsonaro comes into power and all of a sudden the economy is working just great again and people associate it with him. No, <laughs> no, of course. I think this is about, this is the story of the trials and tribulations of the Latin American economies over the last century or two, right? Um, and in particular, Brazil. And, and I think that's the, you know, that's the main thing that people don't talk about when they talk about the crisis. The, Brazil actually handled the financial crisis in the U.S. and, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, when, 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 when economies were, were tanking around the globe. Brazil handled it excellently. And this is, you know, uh, economists who have, who have talked about this for, for some time, uh, pushing anti-cyclical measures to to be able to bolster the Brazilian economy. And they were able to hold off the crisis and, and until that point, just like you said, when commodities, the, the price of commodities started to tank back in 2012, 2013. And of course, there went the Brazilian economy. People don't point out the fact that th this is exactly what happened across all of Latin America at the same time. So it wasn't just the Workers' Party that were, you know, that were at fault. But what you had was 
this 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 movement. And I think that the the, the Brazilian political class, and particularly the right, knew it was time to take action. And so in that moment, what you had is as the economy tanked, you had massive street protests that happened partially in relation to that, partially against the government and partially in relation to other things that were happening. Um, and they really used that momentum to really grow the movement toward the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff in 2016. And now with the election of, 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 uh, of a potential election of Jair Bolsonaro. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Now, you mentioned fake news. It does seem uh, from from what I'm hearing, from what I'm reading and from some of your analysis that fake news has become a real uh, uh, major centerpiece of this whole story here in the rise of Bolsonaro. So um, why don't you just help us to understand how fake news is impacting this election cycle? Uh, what is the social media landscape? I know it's slightly different than in the U.S., uh, maybe less Facebook and Twitter oriented, maybe more WhatsApp oriented. Tell us about the social media uh, landscape in Brazil and how fake news is being peddled and how it's impacting the situation. Right. So first off, um, this country moves and shakes around WhatsApp. WhatsApp is a Facebook-owned messaging application. It's how, say, 60% of the population communicates. And according to polls from last week, 53% of the population, that's where they get their news and information. And this is key because they trust WhatsApp even more than, say, Facebook or other news sources because they're getting that news and information from their friends. The way it works is you can send messages back and forth. You can create groups of a maximum of 256 people. Uh, and so things can be shared very easily from one group to another. And that's how kind of messaging, that's how information is being shared uh, across Brazil and particularly in this in this election. Why is that concerning? Well, you have an application like Facebook or Twitter, where everything is public. Well, it's much easier to be able to fiscalize exactly what's going down. You can see what the face and fake news is. That information is there. Uh, you can have people decide whether it's false, whether it's not false, and take it down if necessary. But it's all public. It's all accessible. Via WhatsApp, everything is private. So it's literally impossible to 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 censor what's happening through WhatsApp. Now there are several things that can be done. In fact, there was an article published in the New York Times today or yesterday by a series of researchers here in Brazil that, that offered several different steps that could be taken in order to try and stop or block the use of, 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 of misinterpreted or disinformation that's being pushed through WhatsApp. But it's important to understand that WhatsApp is how things happen here. Everybody has it. Everybody uses it. Um, now, fake news, we know that a lot of this has been happening. And some news has just come out just in the last 24 hours, and I'll get into that in just a second. But just to give a little bit of background, according to uh, research done over the last uh, month, roughly or so, of 50 widely shared, some of the, the 50 top widely shared images, half of the over half of those were misleading information, and only 8% of those images was truthful. This is from a study from a researcher that was also, I believe, published in the New York Times just a couple of days ago. So it shows you about the amount of information that's being pushed and shared is is and, and it goes out there and then it's and it's done. Now over a period, uh, just a couple of days right before the first round of the elections, the Workers' Party candidate, Fernando Adagi, and his campaign realized that news was just being generated against his campaign. And when I say news, we're talking about things like uh, saying he had a $100,000 watch, saying he had a Ferrari, 
uh, saying he was distributing pornographic material to kids or saying that if he won, um, uh, four or five-year-olds would, would become the property of the state. Things that are just ridiculous, but you generate enough of that out there and it's hard to tell. You start blending the lines between what's true and what's false. And instead of actually focusing on the issues, you're focusing on kind of a, uh, you know, destroying the character of Adaji and destroying the Workers' Party. And those are just a couple of examples. So basically, they realized that this was happening. They created a hotline for WhatsApp where people could send denunciations about what fake news uh, what, what, you know, what they were seeing. They received 15,000 messages over a 24 hour period, just a couple days before the first run of the election. That's the amount of fake news that's out there or misrepresented disinformation that's, that, that, that's happening. So they then sent that to the Supreme Electoral Council, which took the initiative to take down something like 68, uh, different messages or posts that were online. But this is a drop in the bucket. And that's, what's really important here. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of messages that are out there and being sent each day. So the Bolsonaro campaign uh, itself has something a little over a, a dozen people that are working to generate messages and then sending those messages out to 1,500 different groups in support of Bolsonaro who then spread those messages or create their own content. And then according to, to, to researchers, you could have um, messages about Bolsonaro and his campaign hitting something uh, as much as 40,000 different WhatsApp groups. So we're talking about millions of people and these things are moving fast. Um, and so this is the amount of that, 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 the extent to which social media is playing this election. It is important to just take a step back. So the elections in the past in Brazil have always been kind of won, fought and won over the debates and fought and won on the major television channels. We've talked about global in the past, Eric. Uh, Global is the you know the main news the main news channel here. They've literally decided elections in the past, uh, and in this election, Bolsonaro had had no more than eight seconds of TV propaganda time during the there's it, it happens several days several several days a week in which they have a, a period of, of kind of TV propaganda time for each of the candidates because he had so few congressional representatives in Congress he had only he had next to he had next to no time on TV but it has not mattered because he has a massive social media campaign. So what just came out literally within the last two days is that businessmen have been funding a campaign, um, a fake news campaign that's been generating and, and pushing out of, of, throughout, the, throughout the networks. Uh, and this is key because these, they've been funding these, this campaign that, 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 that literally this, this came out, like I said, just in the last day from the Folio Sao Paulo, which, which released the report. Uh, according to the report, roughly, $3 million is spent each time they have kind of this, um, it's kind of a message dump that's sent out to a bunch of different um, uh, Bolsonaro supporters or other people within Brazil. And so what you're seeing is that this massive campaign is actually being funded by businessmen in support of Bolsonaro. Not, not the entire campaign, but a, a, a good percentage of it. This is key because in Brazil, this is what they call it, they, they, they talk about as dark money. This is, this is money that is going to the campaign, but it has not been officially declared. So now you have people like Adaji, who's calling for uh, Bolsonaro to either go to jail or, um, or, be, or be punished for what's happening right now. You have the third major candidate that came in third in the elections in the first round, Ciro Gomez. His party, the Democratic Labor Party, has called for the elections to be annulled. Now, I don't think we're, gonna, we're not going to see that, but this is extremely important because it highlights exactly what's what's going on at the base of Brazil. This election is going to be, is being fought 
over the internet. It's not being fought on. It's not being fought on television. It's not being fought on the streets. It's being fought over the internet. It's going to be decided by our ability to to figure out what's fake and what's not. That's ridiculous. In in a real sense, I agree with that. Although uh, some videos that come out of that have come out of Brazil recently paint uh, a really troubling picture on the streets. I agree. Certainly, the the war of ideas is being fought on people's messaging apps. Uh, but we do see the emergence of if not fully organized, then certainly proto-fascist uh, gangs on the streets, particularly ones targeting people from oppressed communities, whether uh, Afro-Brazilian, indigenous, LGBTQ, or otherwise. I've seen, you know, shirtless, commando-looking type guys marching through the streets. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. We're not just talking about a singular, uh, you know, fascist uh, individual developing a cult of personality. We're talking about the, if not a fully fascist movement at the moment, certainly the rudiments of one, it seems. Well, I think absolutely, Eric, but I think it's also important to understand where that comes from. So Brazil is one of the few countries in South America that never had a reckoning with its dictatorship. Uh, the dictatorship that ran from 1964 to 1985, uh, thousands were tortured, hundreds were killed and disappeared. Um, Bolsonaro was a young military captain at the time. Uh, and like I said, he's praised the dictatorship. He's prayed torture under the dictatorship. Uh, and his running mate is, in fact, a, a retired general. He's already said he's going to lift military people to key positions. And there's actually been a movement in Brazil in, just in the last few months, in the last couple of years, of people calling for military intervention. They want to return to the dictatorship. Now, this seems absolutely just un, un, unfathomable for so many of us uh, who are not from Brazil, who are from elsewhere, that the country, that people in the country would actually be calling for a return to military-style dictatorship. But many people here on the far right, uh, they see that as a time of, of security. It's the same, it's the same thing that, you know, that, that you always hear about the dictatorship. It was a time of, of, of non-corruption, a time of security, a, a time when, uh, when, when things were in order. And so th that's what these people are, they are, are trying to harken back to. So absolutely what you're seeing is this rise of, of, of fascism. You're seeing this, the rise of hate crimes and violence, uh, which is very, very concerning. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of the program, you've had 70 attacks and threats uh, just in the last couple of weeks, but there's been countless more that have not been talked about. Um, and so this is, this is happening together. Now, I don't think that we're going to see uh, a return to the dictatorship, but what we are going to see is an increasing amount of violence. Bolsonaro has already said that he wants to, to arm citizens. He's already said he wants to kill criminals. Um, and if he is elected president, that is the direction we're going to see. We're going to see a rollback of rights a rollback of, uh, of, 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 of state support for, for culture and other, and, uh, and other areas, a rollback of, of, of state attempts to, to stop domestic violence, uh, a state attempts to stop racism. And, um, and what we're going to see is kind of an, an opening up and allowing of these, these kind of fascist movements to rise. And we saw that, in fact, I, with, with the death of, of Mao de Cadende, which is the, the, the capoeira master I, I mentioned at the very beginning, Bolsonaro said, well, I can't control all of these people. I can't control all of my supporters. So instead of actually denounce, denouncing it, he says, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And that's kind of carte blanche to be able to do what they need to do. We've seen this in, 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 in the coming years, kind of with the rise of, 
of different movements like the, the, the Free Brazil movement and other people that are really kind of pushing toward the right and attacking Workers' Party. But I think it's also important to point out that you know this is not just kind of fringe stuff. The, the Supreme Court Justice Alexandre de Moraes has called the MST, Brazil's largest um, social movement, the landless workers' movement, he's called it a guerrilla group. Um, and, and I think what we're going to see if Bolsonaro is elected president is, 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 is kind of an all-out attack on, on social movements and an attempt to really block their ability to move and, 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 and work in the way they have you know, for, for decades. Well, you did a very nice segue into some of the other topics that I want to discuss with you, including what you just mentioned and a few others. But we're going to take a quick break. Um, on the other side of the break, a lot more to discuss, including some of the political pushback uh, that we're seeing. What is the left doing? What are the countermeasures that are being taken? And where is this all going? A whole lot more to discuss with Mike Fox. You're listening to Counterpunch Radio. Uh, if you're not a subscriber to Counterpunch, now is the time. Get in on the fun drive. Be part of keeping Counterpunch going and keeping Counterpunch publishing on paper, publishing books, and publishing online as well. Thanks, as always, for the support. We'll be back after the break. And 
we're back here on Counterpunch Radio. I'm chatting with Mike Fox. So much that we've already covered, but there's still so much more to try to, try to understand Brazil in this unique historical moment as uh, it enters what could ultimately prove to be a very uh, uh, a very momentous moment in uh, Brazil's history. So uh, we talked about uh, before the break. Some of what you would expect is going to happen uh, with a Bolsonaro administration. In particular, you mentioned the targeting of social movements. That was actually exactly where I wanted to take this conversation. So, so tell us a little more about that. I mean, we have so many different uh, movements in Brazil, whether it's the landless peasants movement, whether it's movements around indigenous communities and indigenous rights, environmental movements in particular, uh, whether it's around the rainforest or around agricultural issues, uh, La Via Campesina, other groups as well. But you also have social justice organizations, LGBTQ organizations, others. So um, tell us about some of the ways in which this war on the social movements is going to escalate. One of the words that we've always heard uh, uh, around Brazil is this idea of impunity. And the fear, it seems, is that that impunity is really going to expand across the board where people are going to literally be killed in the streets over these political differences. I I think we can expect that. I mean, you know, it's so hard to say what, you know, Brazil is, is a never ending soap opera. Uh, as we saw from the, this latest report of, of, of of fake news and businesses financing this campaign against the Adagi campaign. Um, and so it's really hard to say exactly what's going to happen, but I, I, but there's no doubt that if Jair Bolsonaro is elected, we're going to see uh, a, a kind of attack on social movements and their ability to organize. Bolsonaro has already said he wants to eliminate activism in Brazil, and that's kind of tongue-in-cheek for saying he wants to do away with the social movements uh, and, and, and the ability to organize and street protest and things that we've seen, and that, that, that people have had the ability to do, the freedom to do, since the fall of the dictatorship in 1985. Like you said, impunity has been rampant across Brazil. It still is particularly in the interior of the country, in the countryside. Um, but this is a reality that, that just is, that, that, that is, that, that people understand that this is Brazil and that impunity is the case. Uh, and I, and I'm sure that we're going to see, continue to see that happen, uh, you know, in, in the coming months, in the coming years. I think one major concern is for obviously the, 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 the landless worker movement, they have their occupations, encampments, around the country. They have their schools, um, their own schools. And so I think we can see an, an increasing kind of attack on those areas, whether it's that's directly from the government or whether that's from kind of local landowners uh, and other, you know, Bolsonaro supporters. But, you know, part of what's so concerning at this moment is, is, is simply the fact that a majority of the population, I mean, right now, Bolsonaro has like I said, 59% uh, support in this latest poll. So this isn't kind of somebody who's, who's, who's you know, trying to, to sneak his way into the president. It's not a coup d'etat like we saw against Dilma Rousseff. Uh, if he wins this election, he's going to be winning it with, with, with major support from the population. And, and what it highlights is the amount of, uh, of intrinsic hatred um, within the population. Right. And that's really, really scary. Kind of intrinsic uh, homophobia and intrinsic uh, misunderstanding about what is what, what, what is feminism and, and, and gender rights 
uh, for Brazil. And again, this goes back to this question. I think that that is what's playing out because these people, uh, Bolsonaro supporters, really believe that the that the left is is you know is trying to take away their rights, and that's why social. That's why they need to kind of crack down on social movements. And so Bolsonaro has been very clear that we're going to see that uh, if if he comes to power. I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and ask you about some of the candidates on the left in these elections. Uh, the last time that you were on the show, Mike, was in the wake of the assassination of Marielle Franco, who is, uh, for those people who don't know, uh, very, very influential uh, lawmaker, policymaker uh, from the favelas, uh, who represented not only uh, the Afro-Brazilian community, the LGBTQ community, but really represented a lot of the poor communities uh, in the urban centers. Her assassination was considered uh, really kind of a, a watershed moment in recent Brazilian history. And in this election cycle, we've seen a number of other candidates who are in some sense following in Marielle's uh, footsteps. And uh, there have been numerous profiles written about them. I believe there was at least a dozen women who were running for various offices, uh, at least in part inspired by uh, Franco uh, and her, of course, her uh, martyrdom. So what's happened with these women and some of the other candidates from the left who have tried to kind of challenge this rising tide of fascism? So that's one of the ex- really exciting uh, cases that we did see in, in this election. Now, overall, this election uh, in general was, uh, was very disturbing. You saw Bolsonaro's uh, party go from seven or eight congressional representatives up to 52. It literally flipped the Congress on its head um, and, and, and broke with kind of the political system we had had in the past. Uh, and it wasn't great for women also in the Senate, uh, although there were some increases, roughly 26 more female candidates won in Congress. So there's some, some, some small victories. But one of the areas, as you just mentioned, that, that really there were, there were some, some important strides with this case of, of the Marielis, is what they said, the people that were inspired by, you know, by, by Marielli. Franco. Um, and uh, so three of her former staffers are now state congresswomen in Rio. Um, another woman won in the Pernambuco State Congress. Uh, and then uh, two or three women are, are, are headed to Congress. Can, you know, they're going to be congressional representatives. So this is very exciting. Just to, just to give you kind of a profile of one of them. Her name is Renata Souza. She had almost a very similar trajectory from Marielli. They went to the same university. They're both from uh, one of Rio's most infamous favelas, Complexo do Mare. Uh, they both studied together. They both campaigned um, for Marcelo Freixo, also with the Peso, which is the, the kind of the small offshoot from the Workers' Party, which is where uh, Marielli also won her candidacy. Um, and they worked in his office for about 10 years. So they were very, very close. So she is one of the people that also is now going to be a state congressional representative. So this is, so, so this is kind of the Kind of the, the the exciting movement, very very grassroots, uh, and and it shows kind of the 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 inspiration that Marielli has has meant for so many other people. You know, one of the other women that won in Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo elected its first black trans candidate, um, Erica Malunguinho. She's the the owner of a um, of a of of a, of, a, of a quilombo, Aparelia Lucia, like a, like an art studio in Sao Paulo. So that's also a really important step forward for Brazil uh, and for Sao Paulo. But like I said, overall the elections were 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 were, were kind of overshadowed by 
Bolsonaro and by his kind of support across the country. But we, ha- you know, we have to celebrate these small victories, right? Well, no doubt about it. And um, uh, part of the reason why I ask about that is is not only to highlight uh, women uh, who are rising to political office, and that's, I guess, important in and of itself, but also to try to see if there's any, um, I guess the word would be continuity between what we've seen in these elections and some of the occupations that we've seen in the last two years. I mean, there was a burgeoning movement around uh, Lula and freeing Lula and having Lula run in these elections. There were occupations, there were social movements that were unifying around that key question. And I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, are we seeing any momentum building from those occupations and other uh, movements into the organized political and electoral arena? In some cases, uh, there's no doubt. Uh, And I think more so than the organizing to free Lula, we've seen that political momentum in the response to the death and assassination of Mariali Franco. And so I think that that is an absolutely important um, point to, to to highlight, you know, she, her assassination really sparked a movement, a movement for justice uh, and a movement for rights, and that's really what's what what what, we're, what we've been talking about. Now, in terms of the movement to free Lula, it's been more complicated, and more complicated because uh, it's so widespread, and because of the kind of the the ongoing uh, attempts to really block Lula as absolutely much as possible, and also understand that. If Lula is free, then he has the ability to, to, to win the elections, right? And so the free Lula movement, which continues, there's still an occupation. We can't say it's not it's, it's, it's over. There's still an occupation um, outside of Curitiba where he is in jail. It's been there for half a year, over 190 days, uh, and they're holding it down. Um, but it's been so uh, kind of overshadowed by everything else that's been happening, and particularly in the media. And obviously – you know, like I said, Bolsonaro's ability to really control social media, control the narrative. This is something that right in the beginning when Lula was first taken to jail and in those first couple of weeks, in those first couple of months of the, of the free Lula occupation, um, this was huge. And it was very important because the narrative was in the Workers' Party's hands. It was really around Lula. And, and in general, the country uh, believed that Lula should be free and that he should be running his elections. It's been slowly weakened and whittled. Obviously, that's what happens after you know a prolonged amount of time, prolonged amount of activism. It is something that 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 that, that social movements have been trying to to push throughout kind of the selection. You saw on the September fifteenth, the the day before the election campaign began, uh, Workers Party members marched for five days into Brasilia, the capital of Brasilia, uh, thousands of people there, and they went to sign. Uh, to officially register Lula for the candidacy. It was the first time that a candidate was registered to run for political office from jail. And so that was really, really exciting, really empowering. At the same time, you had um, uh, um, several different members of several representatives from several different social movements hold down a hunger strike that lasted for several weeks in Brasilia also in front of the judicial court calling for Lula to be released and for him to be allowed to um, and for him to be allowed to run. So this type of actions, activisms, and movements were very, very key in the beginning part of the campaigns. Um, but like I said, in as the campaigns have moved on, and then obviously into to, into really propelling, trying to propel Adaji 
into, into the presidency. And that's what we've seen. So a lot of that movement has been really trying to bolster Adaji. And then I think it, it, really, it really caught another, and another push from the Elino movement, the, the not him movement. This is, you know, women, when it looked like Jair Bolsonaro was, was really starting to, to, to move up in the polls, women came out by the millions. They launched a, a, a Facebook page, Women United Against Bolsonaro. They created the hashtag Elino. Uh, and they had massive marches around the country in late September, you know, demanding, saying, we will not allow this guy turn into, you know, turn into our next president. So that's been extremely exciting also as a way of really galvanizing support, grassroots support uh, in favor, not just in favor of Adaj, but really against Bolsonaro, really trying to unite the left in many ways. Um, now, in a lot of, I, I mentioned this in, in an article that, that, that I'm currently writing, but that was also kind of manipulated by news and images that came out from there or even taken from someplace else and that the evangelical movements, evangelical leaders used to try and block, uh, to try and influence people more in the center against those marches. One, in this, this kind of highlights, it goes a little bit deeper into understanding these cultural wars that are happening in Brazil. Whereas say in the United States, feminism you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's generally, uh, it's, it's, it's not widespread. It's not widespread accepted, but it is, but it's out there. It's not, uh, it's not openly, uh, critiqued and attacked. Whereas in Brazil, feminism is used as this way of really attacking the left. Women are painted as these angry, naked women that don't like men. Uh, and so that's really been used by the, by the, the evangelical leaders in the center to really try and, and push those votes away from supporting the Workers' Party, away from supporting women in these marches, uh, and really trying to manipulate the narrative around the women that have been uniting against Bolsonaro. It's hard to ignore the obvious parallels between what you're describing in Brazil and what we've seen uh, in the United States around Trumpism, certainly, and the far right in general, kind of entering into the mainstream. Um, certainly, this idea of a culture war has uh, played out very prominently in the United States since 2016. Uh, all of the points that you mentioned about feminism and other issues are very much in play in the United States. And so that raises a question that I want to ask you, and I want to preface the question by saying I'm not necessarily suggesting a conspiratorial understanding of what's happening in Brazil, but there have been rumors that Steve Bannon has been involved with Bolsonaro in some way, whether it's merely a, a you know, providing some kind of advice or whether it's an actual consulting relationship. I think that's still somewhat murky, but we have heard those rumors. So can you speak a little bit to any connections that we know of, whether merely uh, speculative or otherwise, between Bolsonaro and the uh, those in Trump's orbit and generally in the far right internationally? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're not rumors. Um, Eduardo Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro has three sons. They're all very important uh, and rising stars in Brazilian politics. In fact, Eduardo Bolsonaro, uh, his son, was uh, received the most votes for a congressional uh, representative in this last election, in the first round. He received the most votes for a congressional representative in the history of Brazil. So these people are, 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 are increasingly powerful. And he met with Steve Bannon. He tweeted out that he had met with Steve Bannon, tweeted out a picture of him meeting with Steve Bannon in early August. At the time, he said that they spoke, that their worldviews were very similar, and that Bannon had agreed to kind of support uh, his campaign, the Bolsonaro's campaign, pro bono. 
Um, now, Bolsonaro has come out in the last couple of weeks saying Steve Bannon is not advising their campaign. Um, so we really don't know exactly how much he may or may not have um, supported the kind of strategy for Bolsonaro's campaign. But we do know that they've been in contact. They know who they are. In fact, in an interview just, I believe it was a week or two ago, uh, Steve Bannon mentioned Brazil as one of the countries on kind of pushing towards the right and mentioned Bolsonaro in particular as kind of an exciting movement for, for the right, uh, you know, is as part of this movement, this, this kind of right wing movement around the globe. So we know that they're in contact. We don't know uh, exactly how much collaboration is actually happening or if he has been actually advising their campaign. But I think what's very clear is that Bolsonaro's kind of support, his rise on the right here in Brazil, like you said, is very similar to Trump. It's very similar to so many other places around, around the world. And these things are happening in tandem. These are, these, you know, it's kind of these, the, the, the save movement that's happening in, in so many other countries around the world. Well, part of the reason why I asked the question is not simply because we know about the photograph and we know that there is at least an ideological, you know, uh, that they're ideologically simpatico or whatever. I mean, I think that that's fairly clear. What what concerns me, or maybe not concerns me, but what kind of sparked my imagination on that question is when I was reading some of your analysis about the way that fake news is being weaponized, the way that information has been weaponized on social media. And of course, Bannon is a master of precisely those type of tactics, obviously Breitbart being, you know, the shining example of how fake news can be transformed into, I guess, mainstream discourse in some ways. And so... Um, we see that there are connections that are not just political and ideological, but indeed maybe tactical ones as well. And that certainly raises some eyebrows. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, we, we, we can't know what is actually playing out behind the scenes, but the parallels are strikingly similar. There's, um, there's a website called Renova Media here, and uh, it's very similar to Breitbart in the sense that every time there is an accusation uh, against uh, Bolsonaro's campaign or something is in the news, they have an alternative slant creating kind of an alternative reality for what is actually happening uh, or what is the case. And this even goes to the extreme that when women created the, the Women United Against uh, Bolsonaro on Facebook, news came out that they actually hadn't created that page. It was a page that was already there and they had just changed the name. In fact, the page uh, according to reports, had been something in support of Bolsonaro. And these women then just changed it. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's about throwing out an alternative uh, version of reality to try and muddle what we understand and what we know. And that's kind of what this, what the, um, like you said, the tactics, that's part of what the tactic is to, to, to muddle our understanding of what is real and what is fake and to really blend the lines between what we know and what we don't know. And what it's doing is polarizing this country. I and mean, I was interviewing a Bolsonaro supporter just the other day. And, and, and you know, she had just a, a series of things that we know that have been that, – that we know to be false, that we know are, are not real. But she was convinced that this is what the reality was because this is what she's received through WhatsApp and this is what she received from her friends. Uh, and, and there's no way to be able to, to, to combat, to really discuss this and say, well, look, this is what the news is because right now uh, those very same people in the same way we have in the United States, they would say that the fake news is coming from the mainstream media. They would say the fake news, that's the left media. That's the media that's actually in support of, of corruption and actually in support of 
of, of the financial crisis and actually support of the Workers' Party, and, and that the real media, the real news, is are, are these other websites and what they're receiving over WhatsApp. So it's the exact same strategies, the same tactics. We don't know exactly how it's playing out, or where it's coming from, but we do know, at least from, from the news that broke from the Folio Sao Paulo just a couple of days, that, that private businesses in support of Bolsonaro's campaign are supporting this uh, and paying millions of dollars for it. And, and, and we do know that it's happening in tandem and it's happening around the globe. Indeed, and that's part of what's so terrifying about it. We're, we're almost out of time here, but I just want to also, because I think it's important to talk a little bit about the regional dynamic here. There's a lot going on in the region, and Brazil is in so many ways uh, instrumental to setting the tone for Latin America. It's not only geographically the biggest, it is economically very powerful. And of course, with the situation in Venezuela, Brazil becomes even more central, uh, given all of the um, turbulence in the region. And I mean, you could just rattle off a number of issues. Argentina's economic freefall, the political climate in Mexico as AMLO uh, wins the election and prepares to take over. You have obviously the instability in Nicaragua, the uh, very unstable and, and rather dangerous situation in Venezuela as well. So how do you see these changes in Brazil impacting the region? Because in many ways, I think that uh, as Brazil goes, so Latin America goes. God, Eric, we are so far away from where we were a decade ago. <laughs> um, the, the changes in Brazil will have a major impact. Obviously, the, the, the push during the, the pink tide, the left-wing governments, was, was regional integration. The idea of by uniting and forming, forming a, a, a block against U.S. interests in the region, they can, they can create kind of a sense of solidarity, create and, and build those, strengthen those ties, whether it be through trade or through politics, uh, and really unite, uh, forge a sense of, of regional unity. Um, and that project under the Temer government has completely been flipped upside down. It's completely erased. It is one of the major tenets of the Adagi uh, political campaign and proposal, not just Adagi, but also Lula before Adagi. Um, and so this is, these are the two different worldviews that are happening and are at play here in Brazil. Of course, that discourse, uh, that discussion is not at play at all. It's the same thing in, in the United States. What we talk about in the middle of the elections are these domestic issues, these cultural issues, abortion or not abortion, Supreme Court justices, whatever else. What we're talking about Brazil are these are, are the minutia of the details because these are the things that get people riled up and can get people kind of jump on board with one way or another. It's about if Adagi has a $100,000 watch or not, which is false, but that's what people are talking about. But we're not talking about regional integration and what this actually means at a much larger scale. But like you said, as Brazil, that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the phrase, right, the historic phrase. As Brazil goes, so goes the rest of Latin America. Of course, the, the rest of Latin America is already going. It's not going to – um, you know, fall like a domino across the, across the region. But it, but Brazil will have a major impact. This election will have a major impact. And depending on who's in power will have a major impact on U.S. policies abroad, on policies, other policies within the region, and on, 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 on neighboring countries' ability to either stand up to U.S. imperialism, like as potentially in the case of Venezuela, or elsewhere. So ap absolutely, uh, this election is going to have a major impact on on, on, on what happens throughout the rest of Latin America. 
Thanks for that, Mike. Last question before I let you go. Um, we have to always, um, you know, fight for what we want and, and, and fight to the bitter end. But there is also a responsibility, particularly for Marxists, but, you know, for everybody to recognize, uh, you know, material conditions and reality. And I think that it's fair to say that the likely outcome in, in a matter of the next two weeks is that Bolsonaro is the president of Brazil. So my question to you is, have you have you heard or, or, or seen anything from the social movements and from the from the groups on the streets uh, that, that gives you some sense of maybe thinking about what's going to happen, you know, day one, what's going to happen on the day after the election? What are people going to do once the sort of this can't this can't be happening wears off and the this is happening kicks in? I think people are still too busy trying to make that which can't be happening not happen. <laughs> At this point, I think right right now people are still uh, working very very hard uh, and and still on the streets trying to do whatever they can to really bolster Adaji uh, in the polls and really trying to to, to block Bolsonaro's candidacy. Uh, they're going to be concerned about. What's going to happen after? I'm, I'm sure that they're talking about it. I'm sure that they're in discussions right now. But I think they're they're really trying to focus their energy on on the now. Uh, and I think come day one after elections, um, and then as we look toward January first, which will be the inauguration, people are that's we're really going to 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 start to to see what the what what the different plans are and kind of what 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 people are looking going forward. Um, obviously, for 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 so many groups, for so many people. It's going to be a sense of really kind of holding on to those, trying to hold on to those rights that have been won uh, and a moment of resistance like we've seen in the United States. And there's no doubt that people are going to be looking toward, uh, toward, toward kind of U.S. organizing uh, and kind of what's happened elsewhere to try and get a glimpse of, of what may be coming here in Brazil as well and how they may be able to react. Very important uh times ahead. Very important to pay attention to what's happening in Brazil. Mike Fox, thanks so much for coming back on Counterpunch Radio, helping us understand what's going on in the country and for the excellent, excellent coverage you've been providing and continue to provide. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you as always for your continued support, for supporting the show. Again, the fun drive is is in high gear right now. Please do consider becoming a subscriber to the print magazine or simply making a donation. Various ways that you can do that. You can call the Counterpunch office. You can make the donation via PayPal. Thanks again for your support, and I will speak to you all again real soon.